Well, good morning, church. You can take a seat, and, and thanks to the worship team for leading us so well this morning. Isn't it a joy to witness the waters of baptism and to see the public declaration of faith and also to have our children present? You know, it's one of the reasons that we exist as a church, as the church, is to pass on our faith to the next generation. So it truly is a joy for us to do that this morning. Uh, I just want to welcome you. If you are visiting here this morning, I understand that we have uh, usually some visitors when we have baptism, so you're very welcome here at Kenmore Church this morning. We love having uh, the broader family present with us, and you're, you're absolutely welcome, and, and we're privileged to have you worship with us this morning. A number of our people are away at the moment on the Brisbane Valley Rail Trail doing their uh, cycling thing, so I'm sure that we'll, we'll hear from Pat during the week uh, in the office about how his legs coped with that uh, exercise. Um, but uh, we're, we're privileged to be able to run things like that and to enjoy each other's company and fellowship. The other day, uh, my wife and I made a realisation which solved one of our parenting frustrations. And if you are a parent or you've raised kids, uh, you'll know that food is a big deal. Uh, if you have teenage kids, maybe they're raiding the pantry, the fridge all of the time, or if, you've like, uh, if you're like us and you've got little kids, you know that they're just constantly asking for food. Uh, it's, no wonder, you know, it's a wonder that at any moment they don't just kind of vanish into, into thin, air, thin air how desperate they are for, uh, for food. The other day, we were going to a park and I was instructed very clearly by my five-year-old daughter that I, I shouldn't forget the snacks for our two-minute walk uh, to the park because she's a very hungry girl, in her own words. When I pick her up from uh, the grandparents, it's inevitably followed by a complete rundown of everything that they've eaten throughout the day. And it's always followed by the question, do you feed these kids at home? And I can assure you that we do, but some days I worry that if the wrong person would overhear how desperately my children cry out for food, that we might be getting a knock on the door from child services. But no, we were frustrated as, as parents because, you know, it felt like our kids were just eating all throughout the day and, and snacking, and then we'd get to the meal that we'd put the most effort in, uh, planned the most nutrition, and they just wouldn't touch it. And so we suddenly came to the realisation that, you know what, two hours without food, they're not going to you know, pass away. And so we implemented a, a rule, which was a no food after four o'clock rule. And I can tell you that this rule has gone down very well with us as parents. Because it takes the emotion out of the decision. Right, the kids ask for, for food or whatever, and you just look at the clock, and it's like, oh, actually, no, it's past four o'clock, no food until dinner. But it has not been so well received by my kids. There's been many tears, uh, many tantrums, but to everyone's surprise, zero deaths so far. <laughs> But on one occasion recently in particular, it resulted in, in a full-blown, devastating tantrum, rolling on the floor, crying, uh, all of that, and uh, the, the following words were uttered through guttural cries, uh, and I quote, but I need food now, I'm the hungriest kid in the world. <laughs> and you know, hunger is a very powerful motivator. There are lots of things that can motivate us as human beings to do something, but hunger seems to be in a class of its own because of its sort of raw and primal push. Other things might be a motivation towards some kind of reward, but hunger is actually a recognition that there is a desperate need that isn't being met, and that that need needs to be met in soon, or the body is in trouble. 
And so it's very interesting when we see throughout the Bible and when it talks about spiritual hunger. You know, Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, verse 6, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. He says again in Luke 6, Blessed are those who are hungry now, for you shall be satisfied. But woe to you who are full now, for you shall be hungry. So Jesus takes this idea of of this powerful motivator of hunger, and instead of directing it towards our physical needs, he says that there's the same thing happening spiritually. That each of us has a spiritual need that desperately needs to be met, or we will end up in trouble spiritually. And in fact, those who are not hungry spiritually for what they need are in some serious trouble. And then he says in John 6.35, Jesus says, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall not hunger. And so Jesus says that he is the solution to that spiritual hunger and to our spiritual need. We've been in a series that we're calling Keys to the Kingdom, where we are exploring uh, the, the keys to unlocking power in the Christian life. And this series has not been so much of an emphasis on here are a couple of simple steps to make your life better or to somehow do better as a Christian, but we've been focusing on actually what is yours simply by virtue of the fact that Jesus Christ is Lord of your life. That if you've invited him into that place and you've said, Jesus is my saviour, then access to this power is at your fingertips. And so this morning we are looking at humility and hunger. Humility and hunger. And we will see from Scripture that these are the conditions that God requires us to be in humility and hunger. And can I tell you, this has been a difficult message to prepare. Firstly, because of the sheer breadth and depth of available material in Scripture, but secondly, because it's impossible to interact with these ideas with any degree of integrity without also coming to the conclusion that I'm not as hungry as I ought to be and that I'm not as humble as I need to be. And so as we explore these ideas this morning, my aim is to simply point forward and to say that there is a place of power that God has for us, not as somebody who has arrived there, but as somebody who understands the journey that needs to be taken. And my aim is to show you that not only are hunger and humility the dispositions that God requires of us, but they are deeply connected. They safeguard each other, and they give us access to a power that's beyond anything you or I could possibly bring ourselves So let me point forward to that, and if you're someone who takes notes or you like to have kind of the big idea, then uh, this next slide is the one thing to write down, and we will explore and understand it as we move through. And that is this, hunger recognizes our need for grace. Humility gives us access to its power. Hunger recognizes our need for grace. Humility gives us access to its power. And so how do we define humility? We can go to Numbers chapter 12, verse 3, which says, Now Moses was a very humble man, more than any man who was on the face of the earth. And then we realize that Moses wrote the book of Exodus. And so maybe that's not a good place to to see humility demonstrated. To be honest, I'm not sure how he got away with that one. God let it in Scripture, so there you go. But I think that the world actually has two different levels of understanding about humility. I think one is a conscious understanding and one is a subconscious understanding. You see, the world will acknowledge that humility, consciously they will acknowledge that humility is a virtue. They'll say, yes, we should have humility. It's absolutely a good thing because it's right for somebody to be humble. 
It's right for them not to put other people down. It's right for them not to uh, continue in constant self-promotion or self-exaltation. But the rationale behind that is that, well, if you are not humble, then you're actually losing the opportunity to learn from somebody. If somebody is lowly, if you're not associating with them, you might lose out on the opportunity to, uh, to learn what they have to offer. Or you might burn bridges and break relationships and therefore harm your opportunities into the future. And so even in the rationale behind humility, it's actually from a selfish motivation. Quite ironic. But I think that there is also a subconscious understanding of humility, one that is not voiced. And that is that humility itself is a hindrance. There's this innate understanding or awareness or idea that humility is actually going to stop me from being successful in life. That if I'm too humble, if I allow that person's abilities to be known and not my own, if I try and go through life without telling people actually how capable I am or, or what I can achieve or what I can do, then that's going to harm my chances of success according to the way that the world works. And so we live in a society that treasures an ultimately shallow view of humility, but at the same time lacks the conviction to live it out properly. You know, I would suggest that in fact true humility is impossible without Christ. Biblical, humili biblical humility, God-like humility, is far more profound and powerful than that. And the reason is that it connects us to his grace, but not only his grace, his very character. You know, if we were to look at the uh, New Testament word for humility, and, and we should understand that the Bible was originally written in, in two ancient languages, uh, ancient Hebrew for the Old Testament, with smatterings of Aramaic, and Greek for the New Testament. And if we, uh, if we examine the Greek word for humility, uh, we get some interesting results. Because initially, it just means something that's low, a position that's low. So when it's referring to something like geography, low-lying land is, is a valley. That's what a humble land is. And then eventually, it came to mean a lowly disposition, somebody who was of humble estate. But the interesting thing about this word is that it could go two ways. It can be either a positive trait or it can be a negative characteristic. So in the positive sense, humility being a virtue, it's somebody who is of lowly disposition. They are humble. They don't exalt themselves. They don't put other people down. They're easy to get along with. But in the negative sense, it's somebody who can be of such lowly estate. They're poor. They're weak. They are servile, they're even rejected or abased, and sometimes downcast even to the point of being miserly, mean-spirited, or even of low intelligence. And so this same word, to be humble, can be taken one of two directions. And I think that that rings true today. We understand that there is such a thing as false humility. And I think that inauthentic humility goes in one of these two ways. It either ends up as this false humility, which is actually us dressing up some other characteristic as though it were humility, but in fact, underneath, it's pride. And this would be the same as, as an elite sports person trying to play down their achievements by saying, oh, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't actually that good, I'm not that good, or, or I just got lucky on the day. And that's not humility, it's actually falsehood. And I think that as Australians, I mean, all of us are essentially born with this really powerful innate radar for that kind of stuff, right? We see through it straight away. No, that's not humility. 
But I think that it can go the other way. Inauthentic humility can end us uh, in, in a position where, where we are so utterly lowly, so self-deprecating, that we end up miserable and pitiful. That's not humility either. Humility is not low self-esteem. You know, Paul says in Romans 12 that do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith that God has distributed to each of you. You know, Paul doesn't say you need to hate yourself or, or disparage yourself or, or put yourself down or pretend that you are something that you are not. You know, if we were to look to Jesus, we would see that example that Jesus never denies something that is true about him simply to maintain some facade of humility. When Peter confesses that he is the Christ, Jesus doesn't say, oh, let's not take it too far. He says, flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven, but you need to keep it a secret. And when his time did come and he was put on trial and he was asked, are you the son of God? He didn't deny it. He said, you've said so. And the day is coming when you will see the son of man ascend at the right hand and seat at the right hand of the father. You know, the saying rings true that humility is not thinking less of yourself, but it is thinking of yourself less. Does that make sense? Humility is not thinking less of yourself, it is thinking of yourself less. And if we were to look at Jesus' teachings on humility, we would find that he often repeats this idea. It seems to be one that his disciples kind of need. We see in Matthew 20, he says, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you, but whoever would be great among you must be your servants. And whoever would be first among you must be your slave, even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And so even in those verses, we can see God's plan for Christian humility to actually be connected to the humility of Jesus' mission to lay down his life for us. We see elsewhere in Luke chapter 14, Jesus tells a parable, he says, or tells a an analogy he says, when you are invited by someone to a wedding feast, do not sit down in a place of honor, lest somebody more distinguished than you be invited by him. And he who invited you both will come and say to you, you give your place to this person. And you'll begin with shame to take the lowest place because it's the only one left open. It's the one that no one wanted to sit in. But when you were invited, go and sit in the lowest place. Do the opposite of what everybody expects you to do. And so that when your host comes, he may say to you, friend, move up higher. Then you'll be honored in the presence of all who sit at table with you. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. And Jesus here is explaining a principle that we see throughout Scripture. And this is something that is universally true. You know that all of the Bible is true, but not every single verse is applicable in every single moment. But this concept is always true, no matter where you are. And that is from Proverbs 3.34. It's quoted a number of times where it says that God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. We see in 1 Peter 5, uh, verse 5, Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time, he may exalt you. And that is true all the time. At any moment, humility is the correct road. 
It doesn't matter what you are doing. It doesn't matter what situation or circumstances you might find yourselves in. Even if there is terrible injustice coming against you, humility is the path to God's blessing. Even if you are being disparaged in in your workplace or or somebody is, is slandering you, even if you find yourself opposed, look to King David. Look to King David, whose humility just is only eclipsed by Jesus, who finds himself in a situation where he could actually take the throne for himself. And by the way, he knew he was going to be king. And yet in that moment where he could have taken Saul's life in humility, he says, no, I will not touch the Lord's anointed. I will wait for God's timing. I will not bring about my own exaltation. I will wait for God to do it properly. And so humility is always the right response, always the path to God's blessing. This universal principle says not only that humility invites God's blessing, but that God opposes the proud. And that is a very scary statement, that God might actually be opposing you if you let pride make its way in. But why is this true? Why is it that God will always bless humility? And the reason is that humility comes from God himself. God is humble. And that might sound odd to say that the creator, the, the, the greatest being in the entire universe, almighty, all-knowing, all-powerful, is humble. Well, if you've been following our series, Keys to the Kingdom, then I hope that you've come to understand that if we are to really know God, if we are to really understand him in a a way that uh, impacts our life properly, we need to look to Jesus because Jesus is the ultimate expression of God's revelation to us. He is all of God's traits in perfect balance, not just in who he is, not just in what he says, but also in his accomplishment of his mission. And when we look to Jesus, we see that not only did Jesus preach humility, but he demonstrated it in perfection And in power. You see, Jesus came from the highest place and humbled himself to the lowest place. Though he was the king of heaven, he was not born in a palace, but in a feeding trough, in a stable, to disgraced young parents out of wedlock. Though he was eternal, he gave up his eternal position to experience the life of temporality and everything that goes with it, the pain, the hunger, the frustration, the tiredness, the sickness, and even poverty. Though his home was in heaven, he wandered around Judea as a homeless itinerant without a place to rest his head. Though he was the greatest of all of the prophets, he submitted himself to the baptism of John because he knew that it would fulfill all righteousness. And though he was Lord over all, He untied his belt and knelt down to wash his disciples' feet. Jesus didn't keep time with princes, but he dined with tax collectors and sinners. When everyone was afraid to touch the leper, he did. When no one would stand up for the adulterous woman, he did. And when he was put on trial and accused of the things that would ultimately lead to his death, he did not open his mouth in defense, but he submitted humbly to the process he knew that his father had for him. And when the time came, he humbly laid down his holy and perfect life, submitted it to a public and a bloody execution, not just a humbling but a humiliation. And he did that for you and for me. Are you humbled yet? 
Did you deserve for that king of kings to die for you? Because Jesus is not just an example of humility. Jesus is the demonstration of humility in perfect power. And you know, just as as a rubber band, the, the distance between the two points gives the potential for it to restore with force, so too the extent of Jesus' humility from the highest height in heaven, humbling himself to the lowest point on earth and even the grave underneath the earth, such a space is bursting with the grace of God as God reaches his hand down to offer us salvation. You know, Psalm 149 verse 4 says that the Lord delights in his people and he adorns the humble with salvation. And you know, the truth is that the gospel itself is humility. The gospel itself is is the story of a God who humbled himself. He came on a humble mission to save us and that the only way for us to respond to that is in humility, to acknowledge that actually we don't have anything to offer that we in fact have a need, we have that hunger, that spiritual need that only God can meet and to come humbly and say, Lord, I accept. Like a number of people here, I've made a journey to Israel and there's a church in the town of Bethlehem called the Church of the Nativity. And there's a special door in order to enter that church which is called the Door of Humility. And the door is about this tall. And the reason it's called the door of humility is that in order to enter that church through that door, you must bow down. You must lower yourself. And it's a good picture of what it actually means to respond to God, to come to God, that we need to lower ourselves in order to come to a humble God. Are you humbled by the gospel? Have you accepted with humility the distance God has traversed in order to give you grace? Why not accept it this morning? All it takes is for you to acknowledge in your heart that Jesus is Lord and to accept the gift of grace that he has offered to you. You know, you don't even have to wait for me to finish preaching. You can do it right now in your seat. Just acknowledge quietly in your heart, you know what, Jesus, you are Lord of my life. I can lay that down. And if that is you this morning, then I would just... Acknowledge that the baptism is still open. And you know what? The Ethiopian eunuch, when he decided that he wanted to give his life to Jesus, he said, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? And so we don't want to put any obstacles in that way either. And if you need to respond by declaring your faith, then this is a moment to to publicly declare that. And we've got towels and shirts and all of that, so don't worry about that. But if God is doing that work in your heart, then would you listen with humility There's a very powerful passage, one of the the most beautiful passages about humility in Philippians chapter 2. And you can open it there if you've got it, but I'll have it on the screen. Philippians chapter 2 from verse 3. It says, Do nothing from selfishness. Sorry, do nothing from selfish ambition or... There we go. (laughs) I've got my spot. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. And my wife and I chose to have uh, these verses read on our wedding day. And it was a bit optimistic, if I'm honest. The number of times uh, that I failed to live up to this verse and the number of days that have been bad days, which would be much better days if I was able to do this. 
It says, in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you not look not only to his own interests, but to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. You know, Christian humility is about having the mind of Christ. It's not just about pretending to be humble when you're not. It's not about disparaging yourself, lowering yourself into a pit of despair. It's about having the mind of Christ who humbled himself for our sake. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even the humiliating death on a cross. I added those words in. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You know, this principle that God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble rings universally true because it is about God himself that it is Jesus' satisfaction of his humble mission that has resulted in his glorious exaltation and that God does the same for us, not because we've earned it, not because we've done something or because we've been chasing exaltation, because you and I are caught up in the life of Christ. Do you understand? Your life is hidden with Christ on high, and so when, when God exalts Christ, we have an unworthy position of being there with him. Does that not feel, make you feel humble? We have the mind of Christ, and you know what? As Christians, we must be humble people. We of all people should understand that humility is the right disposition because we've received something that we don't deserve and we celebrate in it. We are joyful because of the grace that God has poured out in our lives. And so if we fail to be humble in everything that we do, we're not living consistently with the salvation that God has given to us. And yet, if you're anything like me, these words sting. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Not counting yourself as more significant than them, but counting others as more significant than you. And how do we do this? How is it possible for us to shake off that sense of self-reliance, of self-importance, which seems to cling to our bones like wet paper? You know what? I can tell you how... It doesn't work. Self-pity might seem like an appropriate avenue, and it might be a successful way to lower yourself, but self-pity does not necessarily put you in a position where you're ready to receive grace. You know, you might treat yourself harshly, or you might have self-hatred, or this word for humility is sometimes even used in the New Testament to mean asceticism, which is about, you know, uh, submitting your, get, getting your flesh under control. You know, ascetic lifestyle is sort of like the monk lifestyle. But that is not the path to true humility. See, humility without hunger is simply lowering yourself into a pit of despair. But hunger recognizes our need for grace. You know, it's possible to be hungry without humility. To be hungry for God, to be hungry for his presence and for his power. 
And there are many people who follow that path. And what we find is that if you are hungry for God and you can have success and experience God's blessing and his power in what you do, but at any point in time without the humility, you can fall off the cliff into immorality. But then the reverse is also true, that you can be humble without the hunger. You can be so self-deprecating and so pitiful that you are finding yourself in this prison of despair, and it leads to a life of fruitless worming that neither demonstrates God's power nor attracts people to his grace. But you know what the Bible says? There is more grace. There is more grace. Does anybody want more grace this morning? James chapter 4 and verse 6 says, but he gives more grace. Therefore, it says God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble because at any moment and at every moment, there is grace available to the humble. If we humble ourselves and if we have that hunger to say, you know what, God, I need you. I need you. And you know what I think true Christian humility is? It's not thinking less of yourself, but I also think it's not merely thinking of yourself less. I think it is thinking of Christ more. It is being preoccupied with Jesus. It is being fixated on Jesus, constantly being mindful of him. Because if you have him in the forefront of your mind, if you even have a shadow of an understanding of how much grace there is in the humility of Jesus and the gap that he has traversed in order to offer us grace, there is no room for us to be boastful about ourselves There is no room even for us to think about our own humility because Christ's humility is so perfect that if we focus on that, the fruit comes out in our lives. What would the point be of holding up our own resume and saying, God, look at all the humble things I did? When if we're looking to Jesus, we should be on our knees saying, how incredible is this humility that he would reach me? And God invites us to stand and to join him, to be co-heirs with Christ to co-labor with him for his purpose and his plan on that earth, on this earth, and to be with him in heaven. How great is the humility of our Savior, Jesus. Humility is not thinking less of yourself. It is not simply thinking of yourself less. It is thinking of Christ more. You know, we're nearly finished, and Jack and the team, you guys can come on up. And the truth is that I misled you a little bit at the start. And I said that humility and hunger are one of the keys to unlocking the power of God in your life, but that's not exactly true. Humility and hunger are not so much keys as though you were to to take hold of them and reach out and unlock the door to God's grace. Humility and hunger are, in fact, the only appropriate vessels that can receive God's grace. They are how we ought to be, because it's impossible to be filled with God's grace, unless you are a humble and a hungry vessel for him to pour that out into. And so can I ask you the question, are you humble? Do you count others' needs as more significant than your own? You know, how to diagnose this is that true humility before God results in humility before others. The two have to be there. You cannot consistently be humble in the face of God and not humble before others because we understand truly where our life is hidden.
And so it's possible here this morning that God is asking some of us to humble ourselves. Maybe that's through the waters of baptism. Maybe it's simply through being on your knees before him and saying, you know what, God, nothing else matters other than my, my heart and my life before you. Do what you need to do. You know, the truth is that if, if we're not willing to humble ourselves before men, what makes us think that we are really humble before God? Second question, are you hungry? Are you hungry for God? And I feel this one. In preparing this, this week, I know that I'm not hungry as I ought to be for God. There are previous times in my life where I was much hungrier for Him. And so I need Him to stoke that hunger inside me. And if that's you, then there are some words in Psalm 107. And I've only got the second half of this up, but I, I think that I need to read a few verses before it. right? Because at this point in Psalm 107, from verse 35, he says, He turns a desert into pools of water, a parched land into springs of water. So there is a dry and there is a hungry place, and he turns it into somewhere that is flowing with water and with life. But do you know the verses before that, verse 33 says, He turns rivers into a desert, springs of water into thirsty ground. It goes the other way, a fruitful land into a salty waste. And then verse 35, he turns desert into pools of water. And you know what? Sometimes I think that we get to points of feeling like we're in a desert because God is actually trying to say, you need to be hungrier. You've lost your hunger for me. And we need to take the words of Jesus seriously when he says, woe to those who are not hungry now, for you will be hungry later. And we need to pray that God would allow us to grow in that hunger and that desire for him. Would you close your eyes as we pray and as we conclude? Father God, we just acknowledge that these two dispositions go so against what we are capable of in our flesh. We can't stir up humility. It only comes from you. It is a godly trait, and we need it as a work of the Holy Spirit in our hearts. Would you do that work in us this morning? And God, we need to be hungrier. Would you cause that hunger? Would you bring it about in our hearts? Lord, we want to love you more. We want to wake up every single day desiring more of you. God, we want to look to Jesus and to see the founder and the perfecter of our faith and to understand that our life is of significance because of him because our life is in him and because his life was of significance for us. So Lord, I pray for courage to respond. Sometimes humility takes courage. And so if, if there's anyone here who needs to respond to, to God's call this morning, if that's through the waters of baptism, then I'm going to be up the front, just over to the side there next to the baptismal line. I would love for you to, to come and we can talk through or we can simply pray through uh, and we can enter the waters of baptism. Liam's still wet. Or perhaps God is asking you to humble yourself. 
And you know, every moment of true humbling results in something public. And I'm not trying to twist anyone's arm here. I'm not genuinely not trying to make something that isn't true and isn't real. And you only know if God is prompting this in your heart. But if there is a humbling that needs to take place, often it is that that final moment where the, the dam wall breaks and the water bursts forth, the water of God's life that's been held back by a lack of humility. Then would you come and would you respond? Would you pour out your heart to God? Would you kneel before him? Do what he is prompting you to do.